there can be nothing normal in the mind of one who, knowing what I knew of the horrors of Tempest Mountain, would seek alone for the fear that lurked there. That at least two of the fear's embodiments were destroyed, formed but a slight guarantee of mental and physical safety in the Asheron of multiform diabolism. Yet I continued my quest with even greater zeal as events and revelations became more monstrous. Perhaps not as monstrous, though, as what some filmmakers have done to the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic H.P. Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I am Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we'll be reviewing 1997's Hemoglobin slash Bleeders, uh, originally titled Bleeders at least, written by Charles Adair, Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, and directed by Peter Svatek. Um, and now, you may have, if you listened to our last episode on Lurking Fear, you may know we're going to be a little bit kinder to Bleeders slash Hemoglobin. I don't know. I, I, I was introduced to it as Bleeders, but I guess its official yes. title is Hemoglobin, so I'm not sure how I to guess. refer to it. I knew it as Bleeders because I knew the, um, even though it was 1997 and like VHS was kind of going out yeah. and DVD was coming in, but I remember that box art because the VHS box art was filled with blood. Okay. So you could like feel it, kind of like what they did later on with like uh, the first Saw film. They actually had a blood-filled cover. I, yeah, where I you could that. feel around. You remember that? So yeah, yeah. This one, this one looked cool. Like it was, it's the same cover with like the the monsters on it mm -hmm. but like you could feel the blood and and stuff so i remember that like for some but i never seen this like for some reason i thought it was a it's one of those films like you said like if it was called hemoglobin i would remember that more yeah, yeah like yeah. if you know i would like oh i definitely saw it but bleeders there's breeders there's screamers there's all these different like you know errors so for years i thought i saw this but i'm i'm happy to say like no this is the first time watching this one and yeah, it, you know, bleeders. Um, hemoglobin actually, I think, is a better title, kind of, because of the whole blood thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll, I'll refer to it as as hemoglobin. I prefer bleeders, but you know, we'll we'll go with hemoglobin because it's more original, I suppose. Um, I guess. Yeah. But similar to Lurking Fear, hemoglobin um, makes the protagonist of this film a member of the infamous family that's at the heart of the story. In in obviously in the short story, it's the Martens family. In this film, it becomes the Van Damme. So. I guess Rob Van Damme, yeah, the wrestling world. Jean Claude Van Damme, and uh, and yeah, and Rob Van Damme, I guess, all descended <laughs> from his from his family. Um, but it it, uh, it it focuses on on a member of that family returning to his ancestral home uh, for for various reasons, different than obviously uh, lurking fear, but dissimilar. Um, it takes kind of a more introspective approach in the sense of it's it's a little bit it's more it's more character driven than plot driven. Um, yes. John Strauss in this movie, he wants to find out more about his lineage to hopefully kind of discover a solution to this mysterious blood disease he has, um, rather than kind of rely on a, on an external conflict, you know, this, this, uh, this kind of almost, uh, cabin in the woods-esque battle and, uh, you know, to, to provide engagement. Um, and also, uh, in my opinion, unlike, um, Lurking Fear, hemoglobin is, uh, not hot garbage. <laughs> and, uh, yes, I mean, it does, it does the story much better i'll agree with that like the the whole introspection of poor john strauss who that actor is very very um interesting looking yeah yeah and, and, and even even starting to watch it um you can rent um a version of this on amazon james and i watched a free version on youtube which 
Uh, you just have to survive the Greek subtitles and you should be fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm used to it because watching a lot of, like, you know, weird cinema from, like, the 70s and 80s, I've seen many films that, like, the best print around would be either, like, a Greek print or a, a Turkish print. Mm -hmm. So you always have those subtitles. And it's it's just very bizarre that, like, sometimes the best prints quote-unquote prints of these films will be something from like like from a weird like country that you wouldn't think oh wait they actually have the better print yep why is that why isn't that like because this is a canadian made film right yeah yeah it's a it was a yeah it was it was shot in canada had it featured a a bunch of canadian actors as well um and and yeah i I mean you, you thought it's Granted, the quality wasn't great, but all a lot of restored footage from Metropolis a few years ago that was found in like an Argentina vault, basically. All those film canisters. Well, um, Passion of the Joan of Passion of Joan of Arc was found in an insane asylum, like like, <laughs> in, in, I think in like Brazil or something. Or <laughs> the places you'll find film canisters, it's amazing. Yeah, um, and also probably in a uh, you know, forty fifty years from now, uh, Quentin Tarantino's basement, most likely. Um, but the so the the dichotomy in terms of the quality and response to these two films reminded me of Cool Air and Chill in the sense of we are pretty much uniform. Cool Air was fucking terrible, and we really appreciated Chill, even though it wasn't perfect. And uh, Bleeders, sorry, Hemoglobin isn't perfect either, but it it um. I, I, I was reminded, and I wrote in the notes here, like, this movie, in my mind, it does Dagon better than Dagon does Dagon, at least in the sense of somebody returns to this, uh, you know, or it takes place in this small kind of coastal island village, and there's a, not just an external threat of something strange is happening in this town, but also at the heart of the story is this discovery of our main character of his destiny or his lineage whatever except this one doesn't have ezra godden doing a terrible harold lloyd impression the entire time yeah i know yeah and luckily we didn't have any of that no no uh <laughs> silent film uh um stars <laughs> god uh, but yeah and i think I, I was i was as i was watching this, i expected not to like this one because you watch something on youtube obviously there's already going to be some quality degradation of an upload it mm-hmm. seems like it was kind of shot on like early video because it's just it's either kind of dark and dingy or it's just too bright and there's not really a whole lot of um mood and tone in this film because the the quality at least the picture quality is kind of all over the place and yet i found myself really kind of engaged with how the story unfolded and how the characters were revealing themselves and what they care about and then you kind of think about it like yeah, this has some legit screenwriters behind it. I mean, you know, they're not Pulitzer Prize winners, but Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett are legit screenwriters. Dan O'Bannon, of course, Alien, uh, Dark Star, and The Resurrected, a film which I'm sure we'll get to at some point on this. Um, and Ronald Shusett also, you know, Total Recall and a bunch of other things. Like, yeah. and, and I thought of, like, well, remember how we didn't hate the 70s Dunwich Horror? And, like, yeah, it had an early Curtis Hansen in that as well, like a talented writer. Right. Um, and so it was just like, yeah, of course, w- when you have real talent, that's going to shine through. And, and apparently, according to a review of this film from a website called Moria, which I will link to on the Facebook page, um, apparently this, this script was, quote, gathering dust in the bottom drawer for several years until someone decided to uh, 
to make it. Um, and I think what I like or, or where, where it starts with this film is that there is a mystery, both internal and external, that unfolds slowly and piece by piece. It doesn't take anything just for granted or assume you just kind of know. It trusts the audience to kind of like, hey, there's a mystery here. Like, kind of come along with us and we're going to reveal piece by piece and we're going to build eventually to uh, a culmination of a bunch of different subplots which all efficiently and I'd say intelligently all kind of come to a head in, in a third act climax um, like it's like oh yeah there, there's there's actually some talent involved in this and it's funny how that actually helps a film well yeah and like I think another effective thing with this film is like John's like nightmares that he has that you just see quick glimpses of some you know the creatures like real briefly their faces and like a fire mm -hmm. and like stuff and you and then you know like you said these pieces of this puzzle slowly but sure like why what's wrong with this guy why is he so sick yeah. why he, like and his wife loves him so much that she'll go to this little town where you know his family possibly was from like like you know what i mean that that question like i need to find out and again you have which is funny both films also have like a weird mortician, <laughs> yeah. right? Isn't that very, very freaking weird to me? Like that, like that was also another thing where there's a like this woman. Like it's funny that like it's the the matriarch, you know, like the because she has her husband and her daughter. Mm -hmm. Basically, she belittles them and like you know tells them what to do and and. That was one character I was like, please die right away. Please. <laughs> mm -hmm. She got it a little later, but I was happy about that. She, but she got her come up and so, yeah. She, she did. But I like that. I like the fact that we don't know what's going on with John. If you don't know this story, you're like, okay, something's up. You know, what, 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 where are we going to go with this? And what's his relation to these creatures that we only seeing glimpses, like, you know, pulling people down? And as I always say, any horror film that kills children, thumbs up by me because that shows balls, you know? <laughs> like, I like that. Like, you know, not that I like children dying, but you know what I mean? Like, if you if you have a film that, like, you're going to, like, kill children. You're, you're straight up, like, two children, like, at least from what we see, yeah. get killed in this. Well, and, 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 a, and a fetus, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and but it's also not done in a way to kind of, like, look at how edgy and dangerous of a oh, film no. this is but does it no. to kind of like listen the the first one that ha the first child that gets is like oh shit like this like yeah. this is bad like innocents are suffering in this right and then the last one is well we'll get to it because it's kind of a culmination of it, it is yes. it is a part of john's uh, ultimate culminating journey um but i think it's important to kind of lay down i mean once again talented smart screenwriters involved in this because there are three subplots running simultaneously throughout this film that all complement each other and do eventually converge. You have the main one, John and Kathleen are trying to find out about John's lineage. That's what's propelling our story forward. Then we have Dr. Marlowe, as played by Rutger Hauer. Um, not great, but not bad, not distracting, like kind yeah. of bringing something to that role, basically. Yes. Yeah. Um, we have him uh, then kind of learning more about this external conflict because he's as a medical doctor, is learning more about these weird humanoid creatures that have been, you know, that he finds, or, or someone brings him a corpse of it, and, and that's, as we are learning more about that, we are then also learning how that ties into John's main story. And then a third subplot, which we can mostly forget about, 
uh, because it's just kind of in the background and just kind of sets um, the groundwork for this the power of the climax. There's right. a big storm approaching the island, um, which is you know harkens back a little bit to the the short story because in the short story these creatures only come out during lightning storms. Really, um, it was an element which was kind of completely discarded in Lurking Fear, but in this one, there's not a huge amount of importance put on it, but it gives the entire cast basically an excuse to kind of hunker together to ultimately be, uh, you know, a unified collective to fend off what ultimately becomes a, 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 an attack from these, these creatures that by the time it happens, we, we know about what they look like, what they are and their connection to the main story. So it, it's, it, it's, I, I don't want to say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it, James. I think it's a, a smart script to a certain degree. I think, yeah, I agree. Like, to have all those subplots still tie together and actually make sense yeah. is, to me, like, it's it's a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, this all makes sense. I understand. And then John actually has an arc. It's not necessarily a positive arc, yeah. but it's an arc. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, he starts at one end, and, quote, unquote, he's cured by the end. But is that a good thing? And I kind of love that. Like, it, you know, and I mean, who would have thought that the uh, the film with twin cest in it <laughs> oh, geez. Would, would, would be the best, better one, you know? Yeah. It, we, I mean, that, yeah, that's... Uh, there is some egregious sex in this movie. It does, it starts yeah. out, James watched this one before me, so he's like, the film starts with twin cest, and it, yes, it depicts it. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Apparently also... Uh, uh, twin cest that was uh that was documented by world famous uh artist vermeer so who, who knows uh that that's some historical revisionism i suppose um yes but yeah i mean but laying the groundwork for this idea of like you know the roots of this family go back generations and the taint on this line you know th- there's a fall of a house of usher kind of quality to that and also something which is is seen a lot in lovecraft stuff i mean uh um Certainly in, well, here in Lurking Fear, but also in stuff like in The Rats on the Walls um, and uh, others. But just this idea of a uh, an inescapable family taint and destiny is, that is one of the primary themes that Lovecraft dealt with over and over again. And it starts it out here, but also doesn't hammer you over the head with it and doesn't lay or doesn't reveal everything right away. It trusts that, you know, when when we go to this scene, we're going to learn about this piece. And then that's going to get us to this next scene where we're going to learn about this piece. And everything unfolds in kind of a, a, a logical order. I mean, that yeah. scene when, when John and Kathleen finally go to like the, the Van Damme house and, and, and the only one that's left alive seemingly at first is this mm-hmm. old nurse that, you know, that helps uh, bore John basically and just in the conversation, and it comes down to logic, where he says, look, this house or this mansion set on fire 75 years ago. I was born after this. So either you're telling me I'm 75 years old, which doesn't make any sense, right. or I was born after this family was allegedly eradicated from the face of the earth. Which one is it? Be honest with me. It's like, well, it can only be one of those things. So now that we know which one it actually is, that's another bit of information revealed. We're going to learn even more about this family and introduces another question of how could he have been born from this family if the family was allegedly dead? Right. Um, or what, what, what are they hiding? 
Like, well, who's hiding what? You yeah. Know, that's, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah. And because also Lurking Fear, pretty much right away, as soon as we kind of got to the night of... <laughs> Which I guess, once again, I keep forgetting, I guess it was Christmas Eve that all these creatures were attacking that church. Yes, both times. <laughs> yeah. Um, it kind of shows us what we're dealing with with these creatures right away. And whether they're goofy or not, it's kind of like, okay, here's what they are. With a hemoglobin, we know there's a threat. We see them in shadow. We see there's that one that's kind of like covered in cloth and, you know, yeah. kind of jumps in. But it basically, the movie holds off on a a physical reveal, you know, what they actually look like, and a dramatic reveal, you know, John's connection to them, until a logical point in the narrative where when we finally see what they look like and why they look like that, it's it hits emotionally and makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, and it, and it makes sense why they're so deformed, like, mm -hmm. like the, the incest and just, like, inbreathing for generations upon generations. And, like, I love the fact, like, there's that one that's just like kind of crawling sideways because mm -hmm. there's like no legs basically. And it's like, I have to say also the creatures look so much better. Yeah. Like this, mm -hmm. like they look horrific. They look scary. They look fucked up. Like you're like, Oh, like the other one, I laugh. This one, I'm like, these ones, I'm like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. Like these, these look mutated. Well, and, and not just that, but also, um, even if I am a fully able-bodied individual, if I see one of those things, even just limping or crawling after me, I'm 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 terrified. Right. And it makes sense too that if if the premise is this is a lineage in a family line which has been deformed through generations of inbreeding, then of course it makes sense where e like each one you see is unique. One might not have any legs. One kind of has malformed arms. The faces are deformed. Like it's there is. There's a sense to their design, basically, where those other ones were just kind of like, kind of like, uh, I can't say the ripoffs because it came before Lucky right. McGee's um, um, entry into into Masters of Horror. But uh, yes. but but basically that that the fair haired child, like it looks like that, but done with half of the budget. Yeah, and like, but I kind of like the fact also that you know you have these creatures, these people. But John was the one that was the outlier, the the one that like looked beautiful, you know, like like the the nurse says, "Oh, you're beautiful," like at, when she sees him again, like she knows exactly who he is. I'm guessing it's because of the eyes. Yeah, the colored eyes, you know. Yeah, and that, his tell. You yeah, know? and that's the thing. The, uh, the I believe it's called. I'm gonna read it here. Mm -hmm. Heterochromia iridium. Um, just it is a condition of which you are born with uh, two different colors eyes it's not common but it's not super rare i think it's something like 200,000 cases a year in the united states not cases it's not it's a genetic yeah. quirk it's not a disability of any if any in any way shape or form but also you know hey we have this character that has these two different colors eyes and also um hey it just so happens this doctor has this fetus in formaldehyde which also has it but they say that it's from this family and so it just once again the film is kind of like Here's a hint. Here's a hint. Here's a hint. But in a way where one once there's a dramatic reveal, John is a descendant of the Van Damme family, the last descendant, um, yes. and he has this insatiable hunger because, like his family, he needs to feed literally on human flesh and blood to survive. Yeah, be it alive or dead. Mm -hmm. Like I love that. Like they say that. Like it has to be either dead or alive. It doesn't matter. Just yep. it has to be human flesh. Mm -hmm. 
but it's so freaking gross yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's laid out in such a way where it's like you look at the evidence that was laid out and you're like oh that makes sense and also still this is a blow like this is an emotional blow to kind of like to us and to the main characters because i'll be honest when this film started and you see this actor come out who kind of looks like an albino brandon lee um and <laughs> and and you have this kind of not great cinematography i was like okay well this is going to be a shit show yeah same i i felt the same way yeah. and, and then you you kind of realize like oh no i i kind of care about this couple and their emotional journey and then also you find out the truth about him and it's like oof man this is a this is rough <laughs> i didn't expect to care so much about it no exactly especially like even after the scene where he like basically almost rapes his wife mm-hmm. he's about to rape his wife and like she's crying and stuff and you're like and then he's like so and then like he's just basically just like laying in her lap afterward just like didn't even know what happened like he didn't even know what what came over him mm-hmm. like it was that that almost that hunger like that animalistic you know like whatever the heck it was you know it's like this guy's dealing with this shit and it's it's crazy to think like he's lived for years just with this quote-unquote disease and has survived somehow mm-hmm. but that's why he's so weak and frail and once he like what i love once he eats the the fetus later he, he's like re-energized he's and it's, and it's really well done because like who would think that after eating a fetus then you have like this really like actual never thought i would see such a like quote unquote sexy scene in a Lovecraft adaptation because I don't think of sex when I think of Lovecraft. No. You know? You know, and who would think and then like I love like the the you know, like he's like, but I need to like he wants to tell her what he what he ate. And she basically knows, but she's just happy that he's feeling well. Mm-hmm. Like that like she's a good like she's actually a, a caring wife. Like she wants what's best and ultimately what's best for him means like they probably won't be together anymore well, yeah and not just that they won't be together but that he is now oh, yeah. fully contributing to the continuation of this cursed deformed tainted family line in the yes. grossest way possible oh um, yeah um yeah it, it like you you do kind of get the sense of not even you get the sense but oh good he's feeling better but also he he did something terrible to get that way what is that all about and then yeah you find out why and it's like oh my god are you are you kidding me and yeah i i don't love that there is a an almost rape sequence in yes. this movie we have railed numerous times against sexual violence and depictions of sexual violence on this podcast yes many times yes i will say i understand at least an impulse to show hey, there is something inherently broken about John that he's acting this way towards this woman who he loves so much yes. to then later on solve it by saying, well, because he has this hunger, which is literal hunger for human flesh. And so it's sort of like, here's here's the seed. When it eventually sprouts, like, oh, God, that's, well, that's horrible. Yeah, no, it's it's like sad. Like, it's tragic. You know, it's a tragedy. And that's kind of like what's what makes this like a, to me and i think with you it's a re- it's actually a, a good lovecraft adaptation mm-hmm. the despair that 
like you feel like you know ultimately it, like there's nothing happy about this no you I mean, know like it just ends on that when it had the way it ends you're like oh god like the continuation like like what is it also that like it's not said that he is but like it's it's mentioned that the descendants are like hermaphroditic yeah that that the basically this these malformed uh, Van Damme descendants are hermaphroditic in the sense of yes, which yeah, you're, you're, you're taking creative liberties because I know what that doesn't that doesn't actually mean that uh, a can, human or humanoid can reproduce with itself. It just means that the the presence of both right. genitalia. But you know, creative license for right, this, right. fine, I get it. Um, but yeah, so the fact that he is like I don't remember if they explicitly address this in the film, but spiritually it's almost sort of like he is the embodiment and the perfect specimen of this family that he is able to not one look like a regular human being and two sexually reproduce with another partner it's sort of, it is that tragedy where it's like you are the perfect specimen of horror basically you are the perfect specimen of a curse well and it's also ultimately with his own twin sister that has yeah. been in hiding underneath <laughs> these catacombs or whatever so and that's like to me that's like one of the like like it's a haunting scene when like he's you know like we always go through spoiler but he's eating this child like he's drinking the blood of this child mm -hmm. he's accepted himself as this this being you know and like but yeah but he still loves his wife so much he's just screaming at her to leave yeah while the place is falling apart he's like get out of here and Rutger Hauer luckily, you know, takes her away. And then afterward where, you know, she's going to try. But but then my, my whole thing is like, okay, is she pregnant now? I, I believe that's still the case because she does say early in the film, like, oh, I'm pregnant. And so, which adds right. to this idea of like. It's going to keep going. Not just on this island, but now she, when going back home, will be taking this into the into the rest of the world as well. Right, right, and that's horrific. And then also the fact, like when he just he's accepted himself as this basically the patriarch now of this family, and he's going to be with his sister. And you're like, oh my god, like Jesus Christ, like okay, like <laughs> this this is dark. This is like a tragic ending where he he could have escaped it, and she keeps telling him, let's go back to Paris, let's go back home, let's. And, he, and he's like, I am home. Like, this is his home now. And it was so... I, I won't say that that got me verklempt, but that scene at the end where, yeah, he's he's trying... He's like, the the storm is raging outside, and the the town folk are trying to fight off these creatures, and the, the floor has collapsed, and they're in this underground lair. And he's, as you said, he's trying to get her out, like, get away, be safe. And she says, you know, John, come back and we'll go home. And he just turns to her and says, like, yeah... I am home, and it's not joyful. It's not even content. It's just an acceptance of this is who I am, and this is who I've always meant, who who I was always meant to be. And it's like, oh my god! And that is that is the Lovecraftian culmination here. This idea of just mm -hmm. like, hey, I found out who I am. I found out where I where I came from, and now the story is going to keep repeating itself. And that just that fatalism and that inability to escape the destiny that's handed to you is just it's 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 tragic and heartbreaking and there's not even a scene 
you know, there is a scene the next morning after they've everyone successfully fought off the attack, but it's not a happy one because it's just like, yeah. what are we going to do now? And it's, it's like mostly everyone's like leaving the <laughs> yeah. town. Yeah. Right? Like they're all getting on like boats. Like, bye. Yeah. See ya. Not staying here anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and think about it. why Why would you? Two, at least two children have died. Um, by all accounts, this, this John character, the townsfolk probably don't know, is, has gone missing. Um, right. actually, and there's been more deaths than that. We have the, the, yeah. the blonde woman at the beginning who, that was, that was when I knew that there was something different about this movie because I assumed she was going to kind of be this useless character, maybe even some TNA near the end. But the fact that she has some moral qualms with what her mom is doing, goes right. to a gravesite to attempt to correct it. And then she gets killed. And right, all... she gets dragged in and it's like horrific. Like, yeah, they like spikes in her like legs and mm-hmm. pull her. Yeah. And Oof. and it and it, it that signals the film like innocents are not safe in this or yeah ba- and basically that that's that's the thing like in a Lovecraft world in a Lovecraft story just because you are innocent or religious or a good person that doesn't mean you're safe it doesn't mean shit no it doesn't mean uh, like one there's, there's no hesitation as to okay you, no you're dead too like it's you're gonna be bled out. And that's like the really creepy thing when you see the bodies just hanging when Rucker Howard finds them. Yeah. And they're just hanging upside down and like their wrists have been slashed and just bled out. Like they've been probably suckled dry. And it's like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah. and that's the thing. Every like the, the, the monsters, everything, the creature effects, the, the, the violence, it's all like so much so much more well done. Mm-hmm. Which why it's like this isn't a more enjoyable even though it's not an enjoyable story, quote unquote, you know, it's like still horrific. But it's like I had like, oh, I'm like when I watched it, I'm like, oh, OK, this is actually working out. This is actually this path makes sense on all accounts. And like, you know, and like you said, Rekha Hauer, he gives like the film a little more gravitas. He's like the the elder actor that comes in like, you know, quote unquote for a paycheck. <laughs> but he like you said, he he's not offensive in it. He's good. You know, he's good enough that. It's not Dracula 3D that he did with Argento <laughs> years later. You know, that's a, a whole other story. But, yeah, I had, like, this film was, like, an enjoyable, as I would say, an, an enjoyable romp, you know? Yeah. And this one, too, because I think, I think we talked about, well, we definitely talked about with C. Courtney Joyner, that was his, his first feature, I believe. And I think yes, I'm going through uh, Peter's... P- Peter Stetzek. Yeah, I, I believe this may have been his first feature as well um he, well yeah i guess he did well no because he <laughs> this seems like a movie you've seen Witchboard three the possession i have actually i've seen <laughs> I, well Witchboard series i think there's like 16 of them or something but <laughs> i've only seen like the first six i don't remember it but i have seen it I but know he that much. um i mean and this should signal how canadian of a production this is actually his first feature film was 1975's the mystery of the million dollar hockey puck Yes, um, I need to see this. This looks like a freaking bizarre. Yeah, the world famous Montreal Canadiens. Like, I guess they're in it. Like, mm. but it's like the seventies version of them. So, it has to be a kids movie. Actually, it has to be because like, there's like mimes in it too. Yeah, I, I think I don't know. And and I I guess I'm wrong. I was I was thinking that this was one of his first features that he did, and I guess it's technically like his fourth maybe uh but it's weird because there's a big break mystery of the million dollar hockey puck came out in 1975 uh hemoglobin came out more than 20 years later um yeah but it, i guess it does show like it shows 
a guy, at least, and, and it's interesting that nothing really came of his career. He kept working, but he's not really a name, but just it shows some type of promise, or at least, like, this guy understands how to make a movie work, taking a good script and kind of, you know, uh, casting properly, um, and just getting us emotionally engaged. Once again, none of this is like Academy Award winning by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. You could tell that they were working with budget confines as well. Uh-huh. Um, but he understands what made the story effective and kind of builds on it. Like, yes, it's it's kind of muddy in its cinematography. There's really nothing that's kind of distracting about that. And um, I, I we'd do a disservice if we didn't mention um, a gratuitously long sex scene, which seems wildly out of place in this movie. Yeah, like, I mean, I mean it's... It, when it came, I'm like, I had to lower my TV because I'm like, okay, it <laughs> yeah. sounds like I'm watching a porn right now. Like, that's why I'm surprised. I'm like, wow, this is really gratuitous. Like, but it kind of like, again, which is funny. It's funny that that kind of makes sense in the space. Because so, like earlier with the almost, you know, quote unquote rape scene. Mm-hmm. And then you have like this when he's re-energized and they're just, you know, it's like him just trying to. I'm not, I wouldn't say make amends, but like it's him just showing like this is me, quote unquote, as a man again, which is a fucking weird thing to say, but like, you know, and well, and she accepts it, you know, like she's like, you know, let's and it's like you said, it's like gratuitous, and I, I, I mean, the whole time I'm thinking like, is he gonna just like try to eat her, like you know, like bite her throat, <laughs> but no, it's but then that one tear goes down his face, like it, it's actually like. What's the actor's name? Is it like Roy Dupuis or something like that, right? Like the, the guy who plays John? Uh, yeah, Roy, uh, Roy Dupuis. Roy Dupuis. He's like really good. Like he's like this tragic like figure. You're, you're like I could have seen him like play someone like, you know, like like in another like Lovecraftian. Like he looks like a Lovecraft person. Like I don't know how that how to explain that, but like his he just looks like he belongs in like that world. Well, and, and especially, Lovecraft. yeah, because how they do the makeup and the performance with him, like, what one thing that's interesting to me, uh, one of the many things I should say that's interesting to me about Lovecraft's work is, because you, you know in his own life he was interested in this idea or, or consumed with the idea of purity of the bloodline, um, you know, stemming from the fact that you know, his family was of some prestige in Providence until their fortune was blown. And that's something that kind of he had as like a, a scarlet letter on him for the rest of his life. And some of the, the characters in his stories are so consumed with the idea of the purity of the bloodline that they take it to a dangerous extreme in the sense of inbreeding and the physical and mental decay of a family bloodline. Once again, follow the House of Usher kind of stuff. And so this guy shows up, and the first time you see him in the film, he's immediately out of place. He's frail. He's kind of like a, almost kind of preppy looking. He is kind of the embodiment of sort of like a, a very white individual, basically. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, he seems kind of perfect for like a Lovecraft character in the sense of like, a, um, yeah, he doesn't seem to fit in this world until he discovers. Oh no, this is exactly where I came from and this is exactly where I've always been meant to be. And like, yeah, this uh this unhealthy, frail, pale white guy who is falling apart inside because of 
what his family felt was the most holy thing above all other things, basically. Yeah, keeping the bloodline pure. Yeah. Um, and also, once again, to further compound the Canadianness of this movie, <laughs> uh, Roy Dupuis also starred um, in a movie in 2005 called The Rocket, which was a, a bio, not a biopic, but like a story of Maurice Rocket Richard, uh, one of the most famous Montreal Canadian players in, in the history of the sport, who uh, wow. rose to prominence um, during a time that the league was dominated by Anglophones and he was a French-Canadian guy, and to this day... The player in the NHL who scores the most goals in a season wins the Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy. So, um, and 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 he was also a, a recurring role in the TV show La Femme Nikita. Which, uh, hey, remember that one? I I do actually. I, I you know why I remember that one because every time when I was watching Monday Night Raw. Yes, yes. Like and coming up next, La Femme Nikita. <laughs> La Femme Nikita. Yeah, which I had no concept as a kid that that was based on a, a, a Luc Besson film. Me either. I was like, okay, Natasha Hentridge, cool. Yeah, that's all. I- <laughs> Fine. Um, but no, but getting back to uh, uh, Roy Dupuis. Well, and I guess, and and that that sex scene can act as like, and even now that 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 I think about it, it can act as like you can interpret it one of two ways. The, the yeah. number one thing is like because of it does come in in short succession after he has eaten um, said fetus. It's sort of like a the last goodbye and sort of like i'm i'm gone this is like and even with the tears like this is his last hurrah as a as a human being if you will or you can read it as i did because i'd completely forgotten about how close in proximity that the the aforementioned fetus eating came to that sex scene i saw it as a moment where you kind of start believing like oh he's this is actually getting him back on track to being a human, and there's going to be hope that he is going to overcome his destiny, and then the rug gets pulled out from under you, and it's like, nope, nope, nope. sorry. Sorry, yeah, you, you're, you're not human, actually. Because how human could you be if you ate a friggin' fetus? Yeah. Like, that's that's the question. That's the age-old question. <laughs> <laughs> we've, been, that, uh, we've been asking since the dawn of, of time. Um <laughs> But but either way, what's the important thing is like there's an emotional response because you are invested in his journey, which we were not emotionally invested in anything in the lurking fear. No, no, I will say that even though I defended that one a little bit for how batshit stupid it was, um, this one I care. You know, like I felt bad that John ultimately chose the more you know they say the lesser of two evils. He chose the 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 extreme evil like yeah. oh you're going back to your family well which and, was the most toxic thing ever in your life well and that, and that's the, the the question did he choose that or was it like no this was always going to be his destiny from the beginning that's yeah of course you can look at it as that like oh well there's no escaping it i have to be with with this you know this is me yeah this is my home mm-hmm. i'm back this is the only place i felt accepted i guess you could say which is a weird thing I'm accepted by all these uh, twisted, malformed uh, creatures. Yeah, because I, I wasn't sure. Let me get your feedback on this. I, I thought yeah. there was an element at the end that uh, the the only reason that the townsfolk did successfully fight off this attack from these creatures was him basically kind of being like, I have oh, to yeah. give myself to them or this is never going to end. Oh, no, no. I, I like Because he's almost like they're the chosen ones. So, like, I think when he tells them to, like, you know, stop like and at first you think he's gonna give the child back to Howard 
and his wife, like like he's like leaving with the child, and then he turns around and puts him down and in like front of slashes them. him and eats, mm-hmm. like and you're like, oh my god, he just he, like, to me that's actually like what like you know a ballsy move in a horror film because usually, no, he's gonna fight back. He's gonna no, I have to be, the hero. No, he's not a hero. Like ultimately, he chose the other side. But I agree with you. I think him like telling the creatures, his family to stop is what stops them from continuing the attack. And then the whole place kind of falls apart and they're quote unquote trapped in there again, but they can get out any time they want. Yeah. I mean, they've Especially got these. Now with him, you yeah. Know, like, yeah. Yeah. It, it, able-minded, it, you know? It's a weird twisted, almost kind of like prodigal son tale in the sense of like, you know, yeah. he, he's returned home and we are complete now, but, uh, yeah, uh, like how complete do you want to be? You know? <laughs> Not that complete. Yeah, no, but it, it's it's a yeah. I, I found myself much more engaged with this movie than I than I thought I would be. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting and it is it's unlike Lurking Fear. Um, touches not even touches on it explores these lovecraftian themes it doesn't just have hp lovecraft's name above the title and then you know has the metaphorical like let's throw a tentacle in there and there it is lovecraft you know um lurking fear certainly had like sure here's a john martens and here's the small town and here are these creatures like yep we've checked all the boxes we've got a lovecraftian movie right whereas this one the script from o'bannon and uh and rush it um i'm sorry not rush it um, I've already forgotten what his name is. Uh, Ronald Sushet. Sorry. Yeah, and Charles and Charles Adair, who this is the only thing he ever helped write. Maybe he just did some punch ups. I don't. I'm not not sure. Yeah, I, I, uh, I yeah, I wonder. I mean, if it was O'Bannon's script, then and the, I guess him and and Sushet wrote it together. Then yeah, right. Adair had to I guess do some type of touch up. But then who was he that this is the only thing he? Maybe he's huge in like Germany or something. Who knows? <laughs> um. But yeah, it's this. The script understands what makes a film Lovecraftian on an existential level because it's it's really it's the emotional gut punch at the end and not the viscera, which is ultimately engaging to us. It's actually kind of like the, as you said, the tragedy of a human, whether or not he has a choice, believing that he does not have a choice in who he is ultimately to become, and it's and that's it's really sad. I felt bad at the end, and which is a good feeling for that kind of a film. You're like, sure. okay, like, oh man, this poor, not even just him, but like his wife now has to live with that. And if she's pregnant, she's gonna have to live with him in a different way. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that child might also be hungering for something. Yeah. She'll know exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I referenced at the beginning this idea of how this uh double feature kind of reminded me of of the double feature of cool air and chill at least in the in the in terms of the quality of of the one versus the other but also chill ended in such a way too where sort of like this guy like he's he is now the same doctor character like i need this this same treatment and the same shit to happen in order for my life to perpetuate he you know as as john august said like a story can end one of two ways when it reaches its logical conclusion or when if you were to continue going forward the story would repeat and with this with chill and with a lot of lovecraft tales it's either committing suicide guys this is the end or nope this is going to this is going to keep going which is what the shadow over insmith did 
which is what Dagon tried to do. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And which this one, I think, does actually quite successfully. Huh. Well, that's a... That's a lot of talk about eating fetuses, so I think we can... <laughs> we can... And, twin, and twin cess. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, we should... We should never speak... Once again, it's just kind of funny, because my... Um, I, I remember my wife watching Dagon with me and just in some of the gorier parts being like, why do you like Lovecraft? I'm like, no, no, that, that's not... That's not that's not his stuff. And so just like, right. oh, this film opens with twin cest. Why do you like Lovecraft? No, that's not... Oh, okay, forget it. That, that it's a, That's not actually a thing. Um, but yeah, um, this has been hemoglobin. This has been the month of September, which of course means that on the horizon, October, Halloween, the season that many of us have been waiting for ever since last November came around. Um, so what do we got going for Halloween? We got some uh, cool, important stuff coming up. Um, of course, we're going to do some new titles. We're going to step away from direct adaptations, step back into the world of spiritual adaptations, in which we're going to do Event Horizon. And In the Mouth of Madness, completing the uh, Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. Um, and, and, and a double feature of Crazy Sam Neill. That's <laughs> also true. Okay. Um, and uh, but, but to sprinkle a little bit of flavor in there, B.J. Vero, who joined us... Uh, in September to kind of just a, a bit of an interview about himself and his influences and, um, and all that kind of Lovecraftian goodness will be joining us to discuss event horizon. So that's going to be pretty cool. Um, he, he either wanted that one or black mountainside. I figured we were going to get around to event horizon eventually. So yeah. there's that. And also in the works, two potential things still trying to work out the details of, um, getting uh getting an interview with the co-directors of the hp lovecraft film festival which is pretty cool but that's going to be um uh, if we can nail that down that's going to be coming out sometime in october because that's when the fe the festival itself would have uh, typically aired they did have a recent um a recent kind of short film uh online short film festival in which our friends thomas yeah. campbell and gav chucky Steele, um beyond and um and nothing hurt uh played there so that was very cool they were excited about that um, so hopefully we can talk to the two of them, Gwen and Brian are their names. We're, we're going to try and talk to them about the festival itself and also maybe some of their favorite adaptations. And I'm still hoping to try and get something worked out with the Fear of God podcast to kind of talk about Lovecraft Country because it will have wrapped up by uh, the time mid-October comes around. So we'll see. Well, we got fun things in the works for October and for the Halloween season because, um, listen, there's been enough real world horror. Like, let's let's get to the escapism horror already. That's the kind of stuff we can deal with. Agreed. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's been a long day. What's the usual sign off? I don't know. Cascathulu.podbean.com, Cascathulu on Twitter. You, you, at this point, you guys, you guys know where yeah. to find us. So, um, but yeah, thanks for joining us for discussion on hemoglobin slash bleeders. Um, next time we'll be talking about Event Horizon with BJ Vero. But in the meantime, we'll be um, waiting and dreaming with Dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. <laughs>